Welcome to this week's When They Was Fab. I'm Ed Chan. I'm John Stone. And I'm Martin Quibell. Lonnie Pena has left us for now, but he will be back soon enough. So we're going to continue on with our look back at 2023. We move on to July of 2023. Tony Bennett passed away. That Tony Bennett, a frequent Paul McCartney collaborator, and one of the folks who was really behind the scenes at the... 1965 Shea Stadium show. Wow. I get a kick out of Tony Bennett turning 95 today because I love him and his music and I love his son, Danny. Happy birthday, Tony. If you haven't checked out some of the duets with Paul and Tony Bennett, they are very smooth. (laughs) (laughs) smooth. We talk about him a lot on top of most of the poppermost. For me, to work with Tony is like, it's a privilege for me. But then on top of that, to work in this studio where I came in here as, uh, I don't know, I must have been 20 years old or 22 or something. Came in that door over there 
And from that day, you know, we, we made Beatle records here. So it's, it's so exciting to be in this space anyway for me, but to be in it with Tony. It's just the thought of you. All right, July of 2023, Edward Sexton, the tailor of McCartney's Abbey Road suit, passed away. We talked about him a bit when we talked with Deirdre about her book, and we'll get to that soon enough. That's a nice suit. I've known Paul McCartney for many, many years. Sure. And I went through a phase of going down to see Linda, his first wife, Mm -hmm. on a regular basis because I dressed her. I made all her clothing for her. and then. As as his children grew older, Paul and Linda gave them a flavour of uh, of clothing. Mm. In fact, Paul sent all of his children into me at one stage to have something made for them. You know, mm. measured, select their fabrics, measure them, make them go through the fitting process, so they could understand the process of quality and everything else. And Stella got bitten by the bug. Yeah, she loved it. You know. Um, some years later, after all this, Paul said, oh, Edward, Edward Stella's going to St. Martin's. And, you know, he's my age, Paul. So I said, Paul, that's really marvellous. I said, but it'd be really great if she was in the workshop doing an old-fashioned apprenticeship as well mm. so she could, she, could, she could understand workroom mentality, mm. which is very important to, to create and move and work with your staff to motivate them and to excite them about new looks and new things. I said it'd be great for her to have that. Anyway, it, it came, it transpired that she did come to me for some some years mm. while she was still a student at St. Martin's. And uh, she did very well with me. All right, August the 30th, we got the first of what we now know is going to be three Ringo EPs. Rewind forward, we got a new McCartney-Ringo collaboration. Right. I think it's a nice collection. Yeah, I think this is probably my favorite of the ones so far, although I'm really looking forward to the country EP we're going to get. I'm really looking forward to that. That's one of my standouts for 2024, actually. If you haven't, pick it up or at least give it a listen on your favorite listening service. It really is a good EP. There's four pretty solid songs on here. There's not a clunker among them. September the 4th, uh, Gary Wright, the Dreamweaver, one-time all-star and frequent George Harrison collaborator, passed away. Let me introduce to you a man that I just met on this tour and pleased to have as well. From Spooky Tooth in the 70s, ladies and gentlemen, through his many, many hits, please make very welcome the mystical stylings of Mr. Gary Wright. Thanks so much. Thank you. This is my first year as being a member of the All-Star Band, and I just want to say... I feel truly honored and privileged to be sharing the stage with Ringo and all the rest of these great artists. 
Ringo and I met many years ago when we both played together on George Harrison's first solo album, All Things Must Pass. And shortly after that time, George invited me to go to India with him. And as a means of introducing me to the philosophy of India, he gave me some literature, one of which was a book of poems. And I was browsing through it one night, and I came across this line that said, when at night my mind weaves dreams. And I opened my songwriting journal and I wrote down the words, Dreamweaver. loss incredible yeah. artist and innovator he was at the forefront of keyboard playing in the early 70s it's amazing how much he did and it's amazing how close he was to george harrison i don't remember if it was this year or if it was late last year we did a show on some of george's uh, secret guest appearances and and gary wright kept coming up yeah george harrison he had people that he was always close with and around didn't he yeah, for sure. I think you could safely say that Harrison liked to play with friends. It wasn't just like, let me get some session players in and we'll do it. He made friends with the people he played with. Yeah, he's doing it for the crack almost more than anything else and just the fun of it. I think that's probably why he picks friends. Well, I mean, that's really the whole origin of the Traveling Wilburys. Before he went and played music with them significantly, he made friends with Jeff Lynne. He made friends with Tom Petty, you know, both of which were people he kind of knew but not really knew all that well. He made sure that he got at least kind of close to them before he said, hey, let's do a band. Yeah. So it was right about this time that we were starting to hear the rumors about, oh, we're going to get red and blue real soon here, and there's going to be the new Beatles single attached. Yeah, I've still got a while yet until that happens. And if you go back and listen to our show, it may have been the three of us. We spent some time speculating on when that might happen, and there was some information which was sent out to record stores saying, oh, it's going to happen at the end of September. And then, Martin, you said, oh, they're going to do something for John's birthday. And, well, neither of those actually happened. No. But right around that time, there was a release called The Beatles 1962 to 1966. But it wasn't the one we were thinking it was. It was a release of covers from Cherry Red Records. Cherry Red is a great label. And they put together an interesting collection of covers. For less than $20, you can get three CDs, 84 different covers from the first half of the Beatles' career. Mm, nice. We have a new compilation out on our Strawberry label called We Can Work It Out, covers of the Beatles 1962 to 66. And its red cover artwork reflects the fact that that 
first half of the Beatles' career is forever synonymous with the 62 to 66 compilation, as distinct from the later Blue period, if you will. And this compilation uh, endeavours to, to uh, really tell an alternative story of the Beatles with essentially contemporaneous cover versions from all around the world, extremely mixed, quite kitchen places, but some wonderful artists, even on the front. You look at American artists of the Statue of the Supremes, Mamas and Papas, Jan and Dean, Mary Wells, Jose Feliciano, as well as UK artists, Billy J. Kramer, Peter and Gordon, Joe Cocker, Davy Graham, Cilla Black, and many more. We're gonna hear just one track um, from this new compilation, which is uh, one of several on, on the three CD set that were essentially exclusive because the Beatles them themselves never released their versions at the time. This is the foremost with Hello Little Girl. Hello And you can get Liza Minnelli's cover for no one. I'm sure I've never heard that before until I got this set. Do you know, I'm going to admit now, and I haven't heard that one, but it sounds like it would be great. And in her eyes, he sees nothing. No sign of love behind the tears cried for no one. It's an interesting cover, along with a lot of other stuff, some of which is cheesy. You get the May West Day Tripper in here, and some of which is serious, musically interesting stuff. September the 17th to October the 13th, Ringo did 19 more shows and ended up down here, at least reasonably close down here in Thackerville, Oklahoma, <laughs> doing the Ringo thing, playing the big casinos. As close as he's gotten so far to Texas in the recent past. So I'm just imagining the casinos. The, the guy at one of the machines goes, honey, you go see Ringo. I'm going to be here for a while. <laughs> <laughs> or the other way around. I, I got to keep putting these quarters in this machine. <laughs> right. Although I don't think there's even quarter slot machines anymore. Timmy. Inflation. Not that long ago, it was penny machines. And now it's just stick your credit card in and we'll milk you for hours. <laughs> just leave us the credit card. Right. It's basically farming. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Ringo's better off playing in a casino for his residency next year, but we're coming to that. Colin Hay. <laughs> Amy Stewart. Andrew Winton. And so don't feel left out. What's my name? That wasn't very good, was it? What's my name? Okay, that's it for me. Thank you. I see you waving. September the 19th, Deirdre Kelly's book, Fashioning the Beatles, came out. Uh, we had Deirdre on the show with us, and, and that was a really good, uh, really interesting interview. 
I really enjoyed listening to that. She is the one who knows uh, pretty much everything about the the tailoring of the Beatles image and and we actually got a lot of that this year. I mean, we we spoke earlier of Paul's Abbey Road suit and then at the end of the year we're going to get a, a nice look from Ringo at some of his clothes. It's all about vintage clothes. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean Paul knows about that, doesn't he? And the Get Back show at the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of the Fame has lots of vintage Beatles clothes including that purple star related Paul McCartney shirt that Paul was wearing almost everywhere in 1970, 1971. You see it in the photos in Scotland. You see it in the Let It Be stuff. He loved that shirt. Yeah, it's a good shirt. (laughs) (laughs) And they are now selling repros of it for a ridiculous amount of money. I was going to go and think about buying one, and it's like uh, $400. Like, no. Yeah. Sorry, I like the shirt, but not that much. (laughs) Just put it in your credit card. We'll milk you. <laughs> I would have to win at one of those uh, four <laughs> right. slots. Exactly. <laughs> in order to afford that one. <laughs> in October, we would see the beginning of the Life and Lyrics podcast from Paul Muldoon and Paul McCartney. We haven't forgotten about that. We've done the first four in our review, and I'm already talking to Martin about it. We're going to do the next four shows Uh, real soon now yep absolutely i think it's a great show it's a tremendous podcast and even better we are going to get more of it in the new year hearing them actually talk is magical it's incredible to listen to because they weren't recorded specifically for this reason it's just nice to hear them off the cuff just chatting and all these little tidbits and anecdotes coming out And even though we know that it's been highly edited, they have still left enough breathing room in there that it feels like a real conversation. Including some very naughty words from Paul. Does he curse? Just a little bit. Actually, more than a little bit. Uh, One or two of these shows, he he has what could be described as a potty mouth. Yes. (laughs) He likes the F word. He does indeed. And then the other thing is because... A lot of these were happening while they were eating. There's Paul chatting away while he's having his tea, and you can hear, hear the silverware clanking, and sometimes he even has a mouthful of food while he's talking. They didn't need Peter Jackson then to use any device to to work out what was going on then during the clinking of the cutlery. Apparently not. Although I do wish they would kind of do a little bit more processing to these tapes before they put them in. Some of them do get a little bit noisy. It would be nice if they removed some of the background noise. Here, Peter, your machine can do this in no time at all. Do you mind? No, I don't mind at all. It'll be 50 grand. (laughs) More work for Mel. We kind of think that Peter Jackson may be on retainer. I think he is. They've got to be paying him something if there's something they want to do. And again, it's not necessarily him, it's his company. Right. And even though the Mal technology is no longer exclusive to the Beatles, I'm sure they get first priority. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And we've kind of already heard that Peter Jackson is working with the good folks at Apple to try and provide some new material for him to improve the Mal technology with. Mm Mm-hmm. That we will leave as a teaser for 2024. Yes. Bastard. Ooh, potty mouth. (laughs) Okay. uh, Later in the month of October, we got the Stones album, which features Bite My Head Off with one Sir Paul. That's a good bass. 
it's a great record. First off, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's it, again, you know, a, a phrase I use frequently is, is it's better than it has any right to be. This is definitely a record that is better than it has any right to be. If the Stones put out a good record this way, oh, well, that's great. This is better than a good record. It's not quite a great record, but it is a good to very good record. Yeah, I'd put it along along similar lines to mid seventies era uh, Stones. Good plus this song yeah. at least. Well, well, this yeah. song, but, but I mean, the, the whole thing, it's an entertaining listen. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then the story behind Paul's fuzz bass on this song. Have you heard that story, John? I have not. So Paul went into the studio. He knew he was going to do a song with the Stones. The producer handed him uh, 1965 Hofner, And it's like, oh, well, thanks, but I've already got one of those. <laughs> and then he turns to him and says, flip the switch on it. It has a built-in fuzz. Wow. <laughs> Paul started playing it. He's like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's really cool. And it's like, well, okay, use it on the record if you want. <laughs> that was how that fuzz bass solo came about on the song. Wow. I bet Paul wishes he'd, he'd, he owned that bass. He does. They gave it to him. Wow. Brilliant. That's cool. <laughs> so, I don't know if modding a 65 Hofner in that fashion is quite proper, but... Okay, sure. You got the money, do it. Yeah, and it was probably cheaper than actually giving him royalties. (laughs) (laughs) May well be. Well, and that same producer is working with Paul on recordings that will be released at an unspecified time in the not-too-distant future. And they recorded a song as well with him for the follow-up album, I believe. It has been announced that Paul did another song which will be on the next stones album and as i say paul is also working in the studio on some material with no definitive release date but he's kind of hinting that it will be soon enough huh i like paul working with the stones and paul knows a good drummer and they need one the stones are back out on tour and i'm still trying to decide if i really want to go They're they're opening their tour here in april yeah i heard it was in houston at nrg single tickets are still available anyone wants to donate to our non-existent patreon (laughs) i would be glad to make it happen if you will let me see the stones (laughs) i won't promote my patreon one of me (laughs) if you want to donate to martin's patreon he can give me some of what you donate Huh, that should be interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Patreon.com forward slash pods like us. (laughs) All right, on to October. Jack Oliver passed. Jack Oliver was part of Apple. He worked in the music publishing division and managed Mary Hopkins and was eventually the president of Apple Records from 1969 to 1971. He was the beloved president of Apple Records. The one that comes after some other people that we won't name. Exactly. People remember Jack Oliver with some affection. The Beatles all loved him. Basically, anyone at Apple who made it through loved Jack Oliver. Yeah. Keep on rocking! (laughs) Real quick, I want to introduce everyone here to a good friend of mine. This is Jack Oliver. Jack was the president of Apple Records from 1969 to like 1971. Jack was on the rooftop with the Beatles when they performed for the Let It Be. Weren't you, Jack? I was. was Who else was up on that rooftop with you? Uh, Ken Mansfield, who was our guy here at Capitol. Chris O'Dell was up there. There was quite. There wasn't. There wasn't many. that many people. No, there up wasn't. There. No. 
and I kept running up and down because the cops were trying to get in and shut us down. So, so what I'd was keep it? running from the roof down to the lobby and <laughs> keep them quiet, and in the end, they shut us down. So, Jack, how planned was the rooftop? I mean, did they plan it a, like yeah, yeah. a couple of days yeah, before? It was only a couple of days. It was right. just it was all of a off the cuff, from, though, yeah, right? There, yeah. And they just brought all the gear upstairs, right, and, right. That, and that yeah, was Yeah, and one it. of the great things was one of the roadies was telling me not long ago that they had to put take a piano up there, and so they had to <laughs> shove it through a skylight. So I said, how many people did you use? He said, oh, just me and Mal. So wow. Him and Mal just shoved this piano up through the skylight onto the roof. Very, very wild. Jack, you're... Um, on and off, been working on a bit of a documentary, right? Yeah, yeah, it's about Apple and the people that worked there and how we didn't really know how big we were. <laughs> <laughs> until until you read about it That's in the right, newspaper. And then we found out. And right. you also read about who was being sued. And yeah, then you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> missed decline. Absolutely. Well, Jack, I just wanted to introduce you to everybody. We're going to take a quick break, and I think we're going to have a little sing-along when we come back. So prepare your voices, everybody. <laughs> this is 95.5 KLOS. And I think it was interesting that he ended up managing Mary Hopkins. All of 2023 comes together. You got Jack Oliver, you got Tony Visconti, you got Mae Pang, you got Mary Hopkins. <laughs> right. It's all one giant circle. Or quadrangle. <laughs> Something like that. Which is why, as I said in the last show, we've heard enough Lost Weekend stuff. I want Mae Pang to talk about <laughs> life at Apple and her relationship with Tony Visconti. But Hmm. Uh, Right. Anyway, uh, okay, uh, October the 17th, we got the latest in the Bruce Spicer series, Please Please Me to With the Beatles. Right. If you have seen any of Bruce's other books, there's lots of really good promotional material from the era, lots of writing from all the good folks at Beatle Fan. It's another book in his series. Yeah. October the 18th to November the 4th, the first leg of the Got Back Tour, Paul was back on the road.
seven shows in Australia, which was really a surprise to me, both when it was announced and kind of where he ended up going. Hmm. Very relaxed, though. Seven seven dates in, what, three, three weeks? Yeah, seven dates over three weeks. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, he, he is clearly slowing down uh, his rate of live shows, although, you know, it's weird. Paul's not the one who had health issues on this run. Uh, over the course of th- this and the uh, immediately following leg of the Got Back Tour, Wicks would be wearing sunglasses through most of the show. So he was having some sort of eye problems. I don't know. Maybe he had LASIK. And Abe would have some problems with his left hand. Ooh. We'll get to that when we get to those shows. But it's like Paul was healthy through both runs, both legs of the Got Back winter 2023 tour is about his band was having some health issues i've commented before that i think paul's doing a good thing with this because i think it's actually making his voice better slowing down and doing less giving them more space quality yeah. over quantity yeah spread them out and he gets all the adulation he wants we have to go back to mary mccartney's statement it's like oh yeah he needs a little adulation every once in a while <laughs> right <laughs> And I saw some footage the other day of Mary and Stella and Nancy in a VIP area watching Paul's performance. And it was the first time I'd heard Paul sing live in quite some time. He sounds like he's getting on. You know, it's like, give him his adulation. Don't work him so hard. (laughs) He's working at the rate he wants to work, and and that's great. Yeah. I still think him wanting to go out and do live shows and we still want to see him. I mean, you know, I'm not saying he shouldn't do exactly what he wants. It's just, it's just a reminder that. <laughs> well, as is a show to a certain extent, <laughs> time, time yeah. passes. Yes. Yeah. October the 24th, the release of the latest Philip Norman book, George Harrison, the reluctant, Beetle. Well, we're going to have some talk about Philip Norman uh, a little bit later here. If you read Shout, <laughs> you will read a lot of what's in this book. Oh, he hasn't come up with a whole bunch of new stuff? For whatever reason, he did not take what Mark Lewison has provided and expanded upon it. He, he's still telling a lot of the same old stories. We have been asked to have Philip Norman on this show, and we're trying to decide whether we want to do it. Ah, I think Beatle fan kind of put it best. You know, maybe 20 years from now, uh, if there's a teenager looking to learn about George Harrison for the first time, this might be a good reference for that person. Hmm. You and I and the folks who know about the life of George Harrison, maybe not so much. Right. And now Philip Norman is going to uninvite us, right? <laughs> I like the George book that Ken Womack wrote with Jason Cooper. That one. Yeah, All the, Things, the All Things Must Pass book, yeah. And the Owen Ling. That's a good book as well. George Harrison in the yes. 70s mm-hmm. and decades on top here. So not the most exciting or vibrant of titles, but it gets, it gets the message across as to what the era... And what we're talking about, so we're talking about George Harrison in from 1970 to 1979. And then on Halloween, Judy Martin passed away, which is, I think, one of the more really solidly significant deaths in the Beatle world. The mother of Giles and the wife of George. And certainly through the early period, she was a significant chunk of what Beatlemania was all about. She kind of arranged all of that between the record company and the Beatles organization. 
Right. She was George Barton's assistant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And from the arena special, she couldn't remember Brian's name and wrote down Bernard, Bernard. In, in her book. <laughs> right. <laughs> Me, meeting with Bernard. <laughs> Epstein. In one of those, gee, the world works in mysterious ways. The week that happened was the week that we finally got the new release the next couple of days yeah we got a little bit of giles before and we got a lot more of giles kind of later after the song was immediately released but it's like wow i mean that had to happen right then you know yeah giles didn't have enough on his mind yeah now that we're a month and a half two months away from that I still kind of think, despite the delays and despite everything else, I think the way they released it was kind of just right. On the 1st of November, putting out that documentary, and that documentary is still a great documentary. That is a tremendous piece of work. That was a good package. The 13-minute documentary, and then they also did it exactly right by just offering it free to all the streamers. So if you have Disney, if you have HBO, if you have Apple, you'll get it. (laughs) Right. It's there. It needs to be a Blu-ray, actually, with that and then the single itself and have like an Atmos mix of the single. Well, I mean, there is an Atmos mix of the single, but yes, then we could actually have it on on a a physical version, yes. A nicer package. (laughs) For sure. And one of the things I didn't notice at the time, but was mentioned, if you watch the documentary, as the years go by, they don't give you anything from the future during the course of the documentary, the first half of it or so is chronological. And all the footage you get and all the interviews you get are interviews that existed at the year they're talking about. It's like, oh, well, that I kind of appreciated that. Hmm. Yeah. The moment out of the documentary when we first get the isolated John Lennon vocal, no matter how many times I've heard that, that still brings chills. Yeah. Right. John had mentioned this when we were talking about the song. Was it? It's a demo voice, but even though it's a demo voice, it's still like, wow, that's special. <laughs> it's like all things Beatles with me. When I listen to the Lennon anthology and some of those things, you know, I, there's this voice that John has there that brings chills the same way. Yeah, I just think he would have sung it with more authority. <laughs> Probably double tracked it as well. Could be. But it's almost like on the recording, to my ear, he sings it as if the melody is still tentative in his mind. I mean, even in the way well, and he, it is. Uh, I mean, obviously he wasn't. Yes, exactly. He wasn't done with the lyrics, and he wasn't done with the melody. Well, well, exactly, and so therefore, it sounds that way to me on the record, which is fine. I've, like all things Beatles, I've come to go. Oh, okay. I I, I accept that for what it is, but I also know that in my heart that had he decided he was going to record it, he would have sung it differently. I liked how you described it at the time as the don't wake the baby voice. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Sean's asleep <laughs> in the back room. So let's do the quiet voice. <laughs> okay. The right. next day we actually got the single. This was the first time we were able to hear it while not quite the same as it was in 95. It was certainly a moment that we all kind of got to share. Yeah. And celebrate. Everywhere around the world, anyone who's interested in it at exactly the same time would get to hear it. And the song has aged pretty well, I think. Again, it's only a month and a half for us, but it it very much belongs in the pantheon of Free as a Bird and Real Love. It's not a masterpiece, but I'm glad they did it. You know, I also heard a girl singing it with just a guitar, and it was beautiful. 
And you go, he had that knack. And so it comes through. Yeah, we've gotten any number of different stylistic cover versions. There's a really good tune in there. And again, it just makes you wish John had had the chance to finish it. Right. And tell Paul not to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One thing which I've heard suggested, which actually might be kind of interesting. A a lot of people are still complaining about pulling out that bit in the middle, which was certainly not finished. I don't want to lose you, use you, or abuse you. Maybe Paul can take that melody, that little bit of the melody, and write something new. Genuinely do a McCartney-Lennon song. Yes, that's why I kind of wished that that had happened, because it was like, and here's the guide, here's kind of where I was going, and Paul could write a lyric. And And that's exactly what they did with Free as a Bird, where Paul and George wrote a new middle eight for it, But and there's nothing saying that they won't do that at some point in the future. Again, the last Beatles song doesn't necessarily mean the last Beatles song. No, agreed. Quickly touching on what John said a bit earlier, I just thought, or I thought while he was saying it, you know when you said about uh, it being essentially John's first pass at a vocal, I almost get that sort of feel when uh, when I listen to Men Love Avenue, you know, and, and I listen to that and I, I think that they were John's first passes in, in essence on there and i think that he would have done a different vocal for those songs that ended up on there and i you know i think we're all kind of in agreement that george was just kind of being grumpy at the end there he may not have liked the song all that much they stopped working on it because george had had enough we finished the two i don't want to spend another day working on this especially because i'm still not certain that we can get a useful vocal off of this tape yeah We've got a single. <laughs> We've got two songs. We don't have to do a third. And then there's still the question of the four Paul post-it note. I'm actually of the opinion now that that was Yoko's handwriting. Yoko had put the post-it note on the tape and gave it to Paul. Songs for Paul. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Because I yeah. mean, you know, everyone's always, oh well, well, John had intended to give this to Paul, and John wrote this post-it note. It's like, no, it kind of has to be that Yoko found the tape. Yoko put the sticky on it and gave it to Paul. That makes sense. Although there's also the stories that, and Ringo is involved in this story that John was interested in perhaps doing something and had given him some songs, hmm. but he gave him more than one song. He gave him like three or four. Grow old with me and nobody told me were both songs that he was kind of working on as possible Ringo songs. So, you know, I don't know. They could have been songs for Paul, although they don't sound like Paul songs. <laughs> Especially given what we now know, that Peter Jackson had discovered that the tape that they gave to Paul had already been monkeyed with. They'd done some noise reduction and they tried to do something before they even ever gave it to Paul. And that this time around, for Mao, they actually had Sean go dig in the archives and find the original tape off of the boombox. Right. And from all accounts, that tape does not have a sticky or a written note saying for Paul. Gotcha. That's why I kind of think it has to be Yoko's doing at the time. And then the last part of the Now and Then Palooza, on November the 3rd, we got the video. I can understand why some people are still a little bit peeved over the video. Oh, it's 
Peter Jackson's first music video. It looks like a, a first timer's music video, but I still think it's a beautiful statement. It's his piece of art, and you like it or you don't, but it's valid. I still say it's missing George Martin being stood at the piano watching Giles do the orchestration and lead them. That would have been perfect. I agree that that would have been a, a really nice moment if they just pulled George out of Get Back and stuck him there next to the piano. But yeah, I mean, there are some things which are. A little bit cheesy, but the Beatles had no issue with cheese throughout their entire career. And I kind of think John would have liked it. Yeah. I mean, you know, they filmed all the nonsense and fooling around during the Hello Goodbye clip. Even if they didn't think it was necessarily something that was going to be used, they didn't object to it being on film. No. I also think there are millions of Beatle fans. Of course, there are some people who are are pissed or don't like it (laughs) because that's the way it all works you know millions of people you're going to get people who don't like it but i think for the most part it was well received as you have said quoting from national lampoon beatlemania is not pretty (laughs) it's not pretty all the biggest pop culture things in the world have got these sort of fanatics haven't they where you have uh, negatives and people that are negative and people that are positive about things yeah or or the beetle fans who decided they didn't like when they went to pepper yeah. the beetles themselves yeah. put up with that their entire career yeah. they've gone weird yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they've gone weird one of the mustaches <laughs> oh, like the somebody's mustache. grandfather but just <laughs> <laughs> they look just like two gurus in drag <laughs> <laughs> i think we're all pretty happy with the video good job sense of humor there's decisions that peter jackson made that i might not have agreed with particularly the end where they put the slightly schlocky uh, artificial movement into those photos as they're going back 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 but you know that's the minor quibble you know there's a photo in there that pete best apparently donated pete and rogue donated the very first color footage of the beatles it was filmed off a hand cranked camera at a valentine's day show they've got hearts on the curtain behind them <laughs> saying happy valentine's day so and there's another little piece that we've never seen before we have seen it before pete put it out on a dvd with his book probably eight ten years ago there's about 20 seconds of it total they used Two of it in the video. (laughs) Right. It's hand-cranked, and one thing Peter Jackson is good at is fixing hand-cranked footage. And so he fixed it up, and he got the speed absolutely correct. Oh, yeah, after the World War I film. He's good at that. All right, we're all happy enough with now and then. We all might have done things a little bit differently, but, you know, great. It exists, and I think we're all glad it exists. Uh, It's the Beatles now and then, (laughs) sure. On the 10th, we got Red and Blue, and I believe John said he has just gotten his. It was regular in my childhood, (laughs) in my youth, that I would get a Beatles album for Christmas. Hmm. And so... I got the red and blue for Christmas and have been like way into it since because it was just thrilling to hear those early songs mixed that way. You hear John and Paul's guitars separate. You hear the arrangement better than you ever could before. And it's brilliant. And also it just has made me go, you know, Ringo didn't become a genius drummer in 1966. No, he was doing some great stuff that you just couldn't hear yeah. in the early records. Yeah. But now it's like, wow, that's so cool. Some little rhythm tricks he does. And anyway, I'm thrilled. Martin and I spent two episodes talking about the new mixes on Red. 
And there's just no question. Ringo is probably the winner of the red collection. Yep, the MVP. That and the hand claps. Which led to some interesting discussions last week on our Christmas show. (laughs) Paul then went back out on the road from uh, November the 14th to December the 16th. He did 10 shows that is in... uh, Mexico City, South America, and Brazil. And Lonnie and I actually went to the Mexico City show. I love that crowd. I've seen any number of shows in the States and in Canada, in various places. That crowd was just the absolute best. I saw how much fun you both had while you were there. Yeah, true. Separate from that, Paul also did one of those little bonus shows. There's a club, roughly a thousand-seater in brazil and paul played there and so he played a shortened version of his set that was really a lot of fun i mean it's going back to what he was doing before what it is is it tells you that he really wants to play so the bonus show does he just do the same material pretty much he just did the same set which is all right the other thing about this the final show of this tour was streamed live on disney plus in brazil and we've since gotten that it looks gorgeous the 4k is just pen drop sharp and the audio it's a really great mix although paul may not necessarily want us to hear it because they have separated paul's vocal out from abe's singing the high parts and you can very definitely tell what's paul singing and what's abe singing i I wouldn't know it's not available in the uk well it's been on youtube and i think it's still on youtube but uh, it's available if you want it (laughs) Streaming is available if you want it, as John Leonard would say. But there are ways, Martin. There are ways. November the 17th, the release of Living the Beatles legend Ken Womack's Mal Evans book. We tried to talk about that together, but uh, that didn't happen. But uh, we did, Lonnie and I did do a show with Ken. Well, it's not a huge amount of new information on the Beatles. You learn about Mal Evans. Oh, yeah. Yep, you you learn how important he was to the whole running of the Beatles and how it worked. Did we ever find out whether McCartney has responded? The word is that we have not heard anything from Paul about this. Uh, He has not said anything publicly, and while Ken Womack has made some inquiries, no one has said anything. The guess is that he probably has a copy, and it's highly likely he's read it, but that is all just supposition. I'd be interested to hear his reaction to that book. Mm. The highlight seems to have been the postscript where we learned that after everything, George Harrison took a trip over and visited with Mal's widow with Lily Evans and apologized for his role in what happened to Mal. That's true to form, I would think. We don't necessarily think of the Beatles as being good or bad people. We just kind of think in terms of their talent. And I mean, you know, we know they certainly had their stroppy moments, shall we say. But, you know, that is just so beautiful that George did that. Yeah. I wouldn't judge them good or bad. I think they were human, insensitive at times, unaware, you know. Aren't we all sometimes? Yes, exactly. And that's why I said it's not about there were good people or bad people towards him. It's just I think that they sometimes took him for granted and overlooked him. And maybe, I mean, some of the decisions that were made, particularly regarding his contributions to some of the music, they're unfortunate. Yeah. He should have gotten credit. Yeah. And perhaps that's a lesson that McCartney learned. 
over the years. Yeah, because he had kind of a similar thing in a way with the Campbelltown Pipers. They were instrumental in the success of that song, that recording, and he had he just kind of made, paid them scale, and he came back later and and paid them better. But well, yes, we're going to touch on something else to do with that with the with the next thing that Ed's going to mention. We haven't mentioned it so far, but as of late summer, Denny Lane had started getting ill he stopped touring in july of 2023 in september his wife his new wife i mean you know they didn't get married until may or june of this year uh, put out a a gofundme asking for help denny not being an american citizen was not eligible for obamacare and so he basically had no health care so he had to pay for his illness entirely out of pocket. Uh, that kind of ended up with a really nice tribute show, which at that time was to pay for Denny's healthcare, the Troubadour on the 27th of November. But despite the show going off real well, and it, it generated a nice amount of money and MPL actually donated a copy of the singles box. You know, that may not sound like a big, huge donation, but, but the singles box is now going for eight to $10,000 on eBay. Right. They had a silent auction, and all of that money went to Denny. But it, you know, there just wasn't enough. Denny wasn't able to hold on, and uh, Denny Lane passed away at the beginning of December. Right. Ironically, right. on the fiftieth anniversary of the U.S. release of Band on the Run. Yep, the day itself. But my thing that I was hinting at there was where John was saying about the Pipers. My issue there is with Denny not being mentioned in the lyrics book or any of the uh, the podcast uh, well to be fair he's not not mentioned he's mentioned about four or five times in over the lyrics book it's not like he's all over it like he probably should be but he did get mentioned oh right i meant about the song of kintyre yeah daddy lane was a significant songwriting partner with paul in paul's life not mentioned that much well, I mean, you know, we all know that because of Denny Lane's previous wife, that JoJo Lane did some things which kind of estranged Denny from McCartney. But while, you know, they weren't the best of friends, they did apparently have at least a bit of a friendship. If you listen to our show with Sam Wiles and Darren Murphy from a few weeks back, our Denny Lane tribute, Darren says that Denny actually mentioned that Paul calls uh, once a month, once every six weeks to check up on him. And, and I thought that was really sweet. That's nice. Yeah, agreed. Good I liked what Paul's official message about it as well, his tribute. It was a very nice message. And the fact that if you watch the Disney Plus show or if you watch YouTube videos of the last half dozen shows from Brazil and from the, the South Central America, Paul did start dedicating Jet to Denny Lane. Yeah. You know, a, a really nice moment, I right. think. He could start doing no words. There's lots of things that he could do. I, I would really like to see him do a Denny song, bring it into the set. For that matter, let Brian or Rusty sing it. He didn't mm. need to sing it. No. So, along with the 50th anniversary band on the run, we got an announcement of a new version coming out in February on both CD and vinyl. We're getting the band on the run for the 50th anniversary, but we're also getting what Paul is calling the underdub mix of which we've gotten the first track, the title track man on the run on YouTube right now. I'm wondering if it would be basically the recordings in Africa without all the overdubs that they did in London. And I'm 
it sounds pretty much like that to me. If nothing else, it much like the Double Fantasy strip, it's going to be nice to have an alternate version of the record to go to. If you want to hear Band on the Run, but you don't feel like listening to the studio version of Band on the Run. And we, we hinted at the fact that we believe that those demo recordings do really exist, and it'd be nice if they actually did put them on the versions that had, you know, um, Henry and and Denny Sywiller. Well, it's not just we imagine out of the McCartney legacy. They're there. They are in the McCartney archives. Yeah. I mean, for whatever reason, he still wants to go with the story. Oh, they got stolen and thrown out. We have our questions about whether they actually know where Paul's original base is. I mean, that was one of the other background stories this year is that, oh, MPL is on this big global search for Paul's stolen base. It's like, yeah, well, we've heard that Paul and MPL know exactly where it is. They just don't want to pay what is being asked. Considering it's been stolen, do they have to pay for it? That's the question. It would still technically be Paul's, I suppose, but hmm. given the amount of time that's passed, I don't know. Someone paid for John Lennon's J160 after it was found, so and that was a hmm. legal transaction. So I still want my Fender Jazz back that was stolen at a pub gig about 20 years ago. Thank you very much. <laughs> I still want my Rickenbacker back, but I sold it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so closing out the year, as we talked about with Lonnie, we got the McCartney 3x3. The third anniversary edition of McCartney 3, I don't think we really need to say much about it. It's like, okay, you want to put this out? It's cute. It's not really anything necessary, but sure. Three years. Yeah. That seems a little bit odd to me, but I mean, that seems to be one of the themes that's running through this show. Time goes by, as we all know. Have we had anything new from Paul since since three? Forget he worked with the Stones. And then to finish out the year, Tommy Smothers passed away, and Tommy Smothers was on the Get Piece of Chance recording. And well, we all know about the Smothers brothers and John Lennon and the Troubadour, as a matter of fact. Right, and don't forget, Tommy Smothers is one of the few people mentioned in a Beatle lyric. Yep, mm. there you go. So. Well, not Beatles, but. Well, a Lennon McCartney song, shall we it, say? It is that for sure. I'm sure Paul contributed the Tommy Smothers one. All right, so you know we got just a little bit of time. What do we know, and what are we looking forward to in 2024? As mentioned in February, we're certainly getting the underdubbed band on the run. We've also been told that come June or July, we're getting the anniversary edition of Mind Games. I'm really looking forward to that. Ooh. Six CDs worth of stuff. The accompanying book is actually already on sale. Wow. So you can go to Amazon and pre-order. We know the cover, and that's coming. Yeah. What else do we know that's coming next year? We're getting another dozen episodes of the McCartney Life and Lyrics podcast. That'll be fun. As I said earlier, I'm really looking forward to the Country EP by Ringo. The date we're hearing is like March or April. And there's also one more, which we know Ringo is recorded or mostly recorded which is probably going to be a late summer early fall release the linda perry ep Mm, wow is that all linda perry songs then that's what i'm hearing is that linda perry has written four songs and that's going to be the third ep of this set so i mean you know even Mm. though he's not releasing albums he is releasing 12 tracks every year or two Mm. if we could get to talk to her we could find out what's going on (laughs) so anything else that we want to talk about that we're really looking forward to in the new year i mean you know obviously we spent the last 
two shows talking about 2023. So there will be much more than we think. I guess we're still all really hoping for either the rubber soul or the help rubber soul box. Yeah. I'd be looking forward to that. It's been a long time since we've had a archive deluxe reissue by Paul. The London Town disc is well past overdue. And we really do need that. I think that'd be a lot of fun to listen to all the extra songs that weren't on the album and there might even be some demos on there. Who knows? The stupid thing is we know it's done because it's been four or five years since Paul talked about working on remastering Arrow Through Me. It's like, oh, so that means that... London back, Town and yeah, Back, back to, to the, the Egg, egg. are coming. Yeah. yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. Back to the Egg, I think, is an underrated and overlooked great album. More really great work from Denny. Yeah, yeah. Although London Town yeah. is kind of the Denny Lane tour de force. That was his highlight in Wings, I think. I would agree. So. And it would be a good thing to release this year. Yeah, it would work nicely as a tribute to Denny, actually. Yeah, you're right there. Yeah, I mean, Denny wrote or co-wrote five songs on that record, plus Mole of Kentire. Right. Yeah, one or two outtakes as well on there that he's probably involved with, I would have thought. spout yeah that's at least the first look at 2024 this is now already the second week in january so we're only two weeks away from the new band on the run and that's going to take take us at least a couple weeks in february so we'll figure out what we're going to do the next two weeks they'll surprise us and come out with the three three cd copy of, of band on the run and we'll have to pay a fortune out again <laughs> right <laughs> for what seems like a slow year there really was a whole lot going on no you're not counting that that we lost a, just a whole boatload of people and i mean that's not going to stop but still that's what know, we, we can we, look forward we, to in 2024 <laughs> we're, we're all looking forward to the to the ringo tour and do we think that paul's going to go back out on the road again at least for a little bit in 2024 u2 is finishing up their residency at the sphere and i i'm still hearing rumors that they're trying to get paul to pick that up for the spring does it happen does it not happen i don't know i don't know it'd be interesting to see what paul does with the residency do you think he'd just do the same old same old or do you think he might mix it up a bit 
Well, I mean, that's the question that might give him an opportunity to do some of these things that he's kind of wanted to do. I mean, and he said that it's like there is more than this set list that I'd really like the opportunity to do. His residency as such would probably still only amount to two, maybe three shows in a good week. But, you know, if, if it runs like February through early summer, I could kind of see that. It could even do alternate arrangements of his songs. You'll go all night on that stuff, won't you? I know, I know. I always thought that Waterfalls would work nicely as an acoustic number. I'm sure we all have lots of things we missed from 2023 that we didn't mention, and we we have lots of things we're looking forward to in 2024, but let's let that play out, why don't we? Why don't you contact us on the Facebook page and tell us what you thought uh, were the important things to you in the Beatles year of 2023. We will be back next week with a new show. (laughs) Take care in the future. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we could be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California.
I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals, but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. Turned up nice again.